Hey everyone, welcome to the Loving This Life podcast hosted by yours truly, Abby Hillis, founder of ACH Events and Grow Group and also the co-founder of The 12th Woman, an advocacy group fighting for sexual assault survivors. You are currently listening to a special series called Advocating for Athletes. This four-episode series approaches emotional and physical abuse issues surrounding elite competitive athletes from multiple perspectives. Each episode includes one guest, their story and involvement in adolescent sports, and how they believe society as a whole needs to change and it needs to happen now. My goal is that our listeners are not only educated on the issues that athletes face, but also provide a platform for survivors and athletes to speak out. The louder we are together, the more we will change the culture and societal norms. If you would like to share your story anonymously or with your name, I have created a space to do this by going to lovingthislife.org. I also want to give a huge thank you to the Texas Advocacy Project. TAP provides advice over the phone, support with do-it-yourself legal filing processes, and complete client representation. Their experienced attorneys guide and advocate for you through the entire process, and the best part is that their services are always completely free for survivors. If you are picking up this series starting with one of the episodes, I invite you to listen to the introduction episode to this series. It is a quick 10-minute listen and provides an overview and additional details about this series. And as a reminder, these episodes contain very triggering content, so please take breaks as needed. Thank you to everyone who has supported the Loving This Life podcast and continues to do so. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 25 of the Loving This Life podcast. This is going to be the second episode of the Changing the Gymnastics Experience series. And I'm super excited to bring on this guest today because he is bringing a very unique perspective. Not only is he a gymnastics coach and actively living the role of coaching gymnast, but he's a male. And a lot of males right now in the gymnastics industry and sports in general, you know, are dealing with a bunch on how to navigate being a male coach in our society right now. And this guy is just doing a great job at navigating it and being a leader in the industry. And I just think he has a lot of great perspective and insight. And so I'm just excited to uh, let you guys in on a little bit of his perspective and mindset and how we can be a little bit more like him. So welcome, Adam. Hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm so excited to have you. I know, you know, most of our conversations going to touch on just positive coaching and the impact it has, but I know we also want to kind of talk about and dive into the past and how we got here and where we need to go with this conversation and with the sport of gymnastics. And I know you and I talk diligently a lot about what that looks like. And so I'm really excited to just dive into that with you. Um, nice. Yes, let's do it. So little backstory on you. You've been coaching for 15 years. You're a gymnast for 13. He works here in Austin, you guys at a gym called Crenshaw's and has been doing an incredible job. But I'm going to kind of pass this off to you, Adam. And can you just share a little bit about your background, school history, whatever you want to share to kind of make sure that listeners know a little bit about you? Well, I was a gymnast, obviously, uh, growing up. I'm actually coaching now at the gym that I was a gymnast at. It's one of the oldest gyms in the nation. It started, I believe, in the, in the 50s. Oh my gosh, uh, I didn't so, even know that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very rich history, especially with men's gymnastics. Tons of kids in, in men's gymnastics have, have gone on to college. We had 
the twins in the 80s that went to Olympic trials, things like that. So, you know, I'll, wow. go to a, I'll go to a national level meet and they'll be like, Crenshaw, are you from California? And they have no clue who I am because it's on the girls' side and <laughs> we're, we're having to build up our reputation. But the guys' side, everybody knows who Crenshaw's is, always established uh, at the national level. Uh, yeah. So I was a gymnast for 13 years there. The owner uh, of the gym, uh, I'm, I'm best friends with their son. I used to be at their house constantly. One of the coaches on the guy's side, the head coach, uh, Reed Crow, was my coach. So mm. I coach alongside my former coach. The other coach who has really, really done an amazing job is Eric Marburger. He was another one of my best friends and still is. Uh, my roommate is one of my former teammates. And <laughs> oh my so gosh. It's a, it's a big, it's a big family dynamic. Uh, uh, Sharon, who, uh, who, you know, well, yeah. uh, coaches with me now, she was the women's coach when I was a gymnast. So she has to take orders now from that little punk kid. Uh, <laughs> she, you know, what's funny is she actually coached me as well. And then we yeah. coached alongside each other at Capitol as well. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a small community for sure. So basically what happened to me was I, I consider myself kind of an average gymnast. I had a couple of <laughs> events too. that I did really well and a couple of events that I did very, very poorly. Uh, <laughs> but I was also a, a complete wuss and did a, uh, <laughs> did a terrible ginger just because, hey, you know, missing the bar by a mile to me felt a lot safer than hitting my face. And what happened was I over-rotated and I scorpioned. And what I thought was, you know, muscular. I took a couple months off, came back, made nationals, competed at nationals, did a whole off season and then gearing up for the next, uh, the next season, I was doing a uh, double layout on floor, felt my legs get a little tingly uh, and knew that that wasn't normal. When you got a bone scan, I had fractures in my uh. vertebrae and that was pretty much it for my gymnastics career. So there was a whole year there where I didn't have gymnastics in my life at all outside of maybe keeping up with friendships and, and stuff like that. I learned a lot about myself in that year. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. All of a sudden from not having a social life to uh, being very involved in the social life, I, I would uh, very much like to have my senior year back. <laughs> uh, but went to UTSA after graduating uh, moved to San Antonio and kind of followed suit with some of my former teammates that had also gone to UTSA and got a part-time job at Alamo Gymnastics. And in that time period, I quickly went from it being a part-time job to being a full-time job, coaching team, and realized that's my passion. You know, I, I, I didn't finish school. I, I really just kind of dove in and realized this is kind of my calling. Yeah. So I did that for about five years. Uh, experienced a lot at Alamo. A lot of my good friends now are still coaching elsewhere Mm -hmm. and and we keep up. A lot of my kids that I was coaching in compulsory and and maybe doing some top stuff with, you know, they they didn't finish their career at Alamo because of um, some stuff that we might get into later. But a lot of them went on to really good gymnastics careers in college. Uh, Obviously, I don't take credit for that because I think a level six routine might be taking a little too much. (laughs) <laughs> uh, credit, but it was a very, very good learning experience. Uh, and then kind of what I, what I did from there is I, I set some goals. I go, man, I want to be a head coach. I want to, I want to coach the big stuff. I want to, I want to help the kids fly. And yeah. 
uh, I said, okay, by, by the time I'm 25, uh, this is around when I'm 19 or 20, I go, I'm going to be a head coach. So at 23, I got a phone call from uh, Gil Elsass saying that, uh, you know, come on home. Their coach for about 30 years was retiring, had recommended me. And uh, I got to kind of just throw myself headfirst into that experience, not maybe knowing everything that I, I needed to know, but you know, mm-hmm. just put my head down and use resources. And a lot of people were, were happy to help, you know, go from going, you know, maybe pre-elite and tops kids, you know, you're teaching some, some decent skills, but it's not level 10. And uh, Crenshaw's hadn't had a level 10 in decades. Right. And I got to have this kid, Diana Walters, that kind of changed my, my life a little bit because our partnership was was huge, you know, and, and yeah. you know, like she just invited me to her wedding and, and it's just, Oh all my these, gosh. Yeah, she went on, she, she was my first level 10, first level 10 in decades at Crenshaw's. And she was amazing. You know, she uh, was a high 37 kid, got yeah. to go to Brown is on a mural at Brown. Now she won nationals for Brown. She went to NCAA regionals as a all arounder and, and just a great, great kid and great friend. So that kind of started shaping things to where, hey, that's the new normal. And now we have plenty of level 10s over the years. I've, I've had, uh, you know, success at the state, regional, national level. I've had a handful of kids go on and do gymnastics in college and kind of parlayed that success and all the recruiting stuff, become friends with a, a lot of the college coaches. So every year I get to do high performance camps with all their recruits and, uh, and coach at places like Arkansas, Oklahoma, Utah State, TWU, Iowa, places like that. Gosh, that's so fun. And that's so awesome. And I love one of the, my most favorite things that you just said is your partnership with that gymnast. And I think that that right there alone speaks volumes as to the, the way that you view yourself as a coach and your job as a coach towards the gymnast that you interact with on a daily basis. And I want to dive into that more, but I think before we really get started, I want to just tell people, Adam and I aren't here to pretend like we're the perfect coach and we have all of the answers, but we're here to shed light on how we can constantly be self-reflecting and challenging ourselves to continue to be the reason why gymnasts keep succeeding and not only just for the sport of gymnastics, but for in life, right? We talk about as gymnasts, we retire from the sport, whether it's going to be before we ever make it to college, after college, maybe it's once we become an elite, but shortly thereafter, very few make it all the way to that, what we see as the end goal of Olympics. Well, and even if you do make it to that point, especially in women's gymnastics, and you're seeing some people kind of break that mold recently, but for the most part, you're going to, at best, compete until you're 21. Mm-hmm. And, and then your career's over. And mm-hmm. You then what? Had, you, yeah. And, and, and hopefully we can talk about some of the life lessons that, that we teach, but regardless, it's a career. It's a career from the time you're five to the time you're 18. Uh, they train the way professional athletes train mm-hmm. as far as the amount of hours and the sacrifices. So it, it's really, to me, when you say retire, right, it's not, it's not quitting most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lot more than that. And I think the biggest thing that I preach, and I know that you've heard me preach this to a lot of the gymnasts um, in the Austin area, but we as gymnasts learn so many life lessons in the sport of gymnastics. And 
to be able to take those life lessons that we apply to the sport and be able to apply it to real life. There's, there's a reason why there's a lot of successful retired gymnasts in the world because they've learned so many great things. Um, and I'm not saying that other athletes and other sports don't get that same experience, but there's something specific about gymnastics. Well, and I think, I think it's crazy to me, you know, one of the life lessons would be time management for sure. Yeah, because, 100%. Because how, how are you going to get all your homework done when you go straight from school to the gym until nine mm-hmm. o'clock? Mm-hmm. And what I've had is not necessarily just to, to go for gymnastics. Some of these are just, just, you know, what they're doing after high school, but I've had kids go, two kids go to Brown. I had a kid go to Yale. I had a kid go to Northwestern just all these amazing schools and, and I've had multiple Valley Victorians and how it just blows my mind. That, Are they able to accomplish? <laughs> well, and, it, and it's the thing is they've, they've got a work ethic yeah. and, and they've got, they, they're good at goal setting and that reaches far beyond, you know, just chunking a skill or competing mm-hmm. under pressure. It, it's, it applies to school. It, apply, it applies to relationships to jobs. And, and that's the thing I hear most from my former athletes or this other coaches that were gymnasts is, you know, that that's the thing they took away from gymnastics more than anything is it taught me how to be successful later at other things. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I believe that to the deepest parts of my soul. And I, I want that for other athletes and other gymnasts out there for sure. Let's dive in a little bit to your gymnastics experience, whether that was through being a gymnast or being a coach. Because in the previous episode, I kind of shared my experience. Didn't kind of share it. I definitely shared my experience. And my story continues on past gymnastics. And although I wasn't sexually assaulted within the sport of gymnastics, I have that experience. So for me, it kind of all ties together with what the sport of gymnastics is experiencing right now. I think a lot of people in the sport struggle with supporting the sport. And even just, you know, recently with the Maggie Haney stuff coming out and seeing that, you know, there's this conversation of, am I, do I hate the sport or do I hate what the people of the sport did to me? Mm -hmm. And that's why I struggle with that relationship. And I think that's where the responsibility lies so much in the coach's hands and that impact that a coach has that can be so positive, but it, it can also be so incredibly negative for the rest of that, that person's, that kid's, that gymnast life. So I'd love to just, you know, hear a little bit about your experience and how it's shaped you to have the positive mindset that you've had. Yeah, uh, I, I think, you know, you have the golden rule, right? And it's treat others the way you want to be treated. There's a, there's a good saying that's, you know, be the coach or be the teacher that you wanted when you were that age. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, I don't know how much I drew from my personal gymnastics experience as much as I did, you know, either from my parents Mm -hmm. or just generally how to treat people. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when I went to, to coaching, it's always kind of my, been my personality is I was a class clown and I joke around, make nicknames, make handshakes. Yeah. Uh, and just kind of have fun with the kids. But as you were saying before, you know, we're not all perfect. It took, it's still taking time <laughs> to develop that. And I, it's just a constant learning process. There are plenty of times where I've messed up. Right. And I have a hard time when I go home 
turning that switch off. It, it really just kind of merges into every aspect of my life. If I have a bad day in the gym uh, or I, I, you know, had it out with the kid, it affects me. And, and, mm-hmm. it, and it's going to mess me up for a while until I have that conversation. So, you know, if one of the things I learn is, is if a kid has a bad day in the gym or you get upset is you never let them walk out that door without having a conversation. And they might that, not be ready to hear it yet, but having having that constant communication and explaining to them what happened allows them to maybe reflect on it, allows me to reflect on it. Maybe I can learn something from why that happened. And then it's always a fresh start. The next day is, is a new opportunity. But to kind of further shape my coaching style, and this is probably getting in a little bit deeper, when I was in San Antonio, we had a, uh, I was just starting coaching team and my, the head coach of the gym was kind of mentoring me. We had some really amazing like hopes and tops kids. And, and for those of you that don't know, that's on track to do elite. And one day the cops show up and, uh, and he's taken away. And what it turns out to be is he's been accused of improper sexual contact with the kids. And just full disclosure, he went to trial, found not guilty, but I don't really think that's the point. The, the, the point is we started realizing that there are protocols and guidelines and, and things that you need to do. For instance, you can't be in the gym one-on-one with a kid. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it seems so obvious now. He was babysitting these kids in hotel rooms and things like that. And it seems so obvious now, like, oh, well, duh, that's that's terrible. But at the time, I think that it wasn't as commonplace to have all the protocols that safe sport has set up and and all that. Mm -hmm. And it it just was kind of an alarm to me. I had to, I had to spend probably six months as interim head coach training things. I never understood. I was a male gymnast. What's a, what's a pack? Well, it's a, it's a flip from the high bar to the low bar. Oh, kind of like a back toss on P-bars. Yeah, I can spot that and just kind of hop up and do oh it. Oh, my gosh. And so a lot of the stuff was, was self-taught. But I think that I learned a couple things from that. One is there is going to be trust in these kinds of jobs. Mm-hmm. You are with these kids so many times that not only are they going to trust you, whether you're a saint or a demon, Mm-hmm. You know, they're, the kids are going to trust you and the parents are going to trust you. And that's why youth sports is so ripe for grooming mm-hmm. and manipulating. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really been hard over the last few years for someone that I, I do this to coach gymnastics. I do, I do this to teach. I, I do it for the relationships to think that there are so many people out there that are doing it for vicious and harmful reasons. And just for personal gain, right? I mean, I think that kind of dives into, I know there's a situation that you experienced right when all of the Nasser stuff started coming out about um, just kind of speaking up. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's there's a lot of coaches, gymnastics or any other sport that are out there that have a very, very, very big ego and do a lot of what they do because they want their name behind it. I was coached by people like that. I think well, most, everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. most athletes have probably experienced that. And I think I mean, there's a huge two-faced aspect to being a coach mm. because when you're at a meet 
and you see their kid up there on the podium or their team winning everything, or man, they have this many level tens. That's what they hang their hat on. Um, we're the best. And it's, and it's not about the kid anymore. It's about their ego. And I think winning comes at a cost mm-hmm. and that's something that I'm not willing to do. Yep. Uh, I think you can redefine winning and success to find that middle ground. I agree. And I think you can have, you can have both, but you I gotta agree. be willing to, to do it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, this, the, what you touched on was around, around when the NASA stuff was blowing up, I think it had been going on for a while. And, but it was when you started hearing the, the stars, right? You had Weber and, uh, Gabby Douglas and Allie Raisman and all these people that are just heroes to these kids. Right. And, and they're coming out. And they're, they're telling their story and they started wearing, you know, the survivor ribbons and mm-hmm. all that. So, so my level 10 team and I decided we wanted to be a part of that and just be like, Hey, look, we're in this together as a gym community and our team and our girls for one are going to talk about stuff like this. And I want people to know that we're supporting them. So, you know, me and my coaches wore a ribbon on our shirt. Uh, the girls had the teal ribbon in their hair and I go to, to a meet. And I couldn't get to the first session. Like I, I had people coming up to me, what is that? You know, and, and ask me and, and I'm like, well, that's why I'm wearing it. You know, like I'll, I'll explain. And it quickly, you know, I had a coach come up to me quickly and go like, what am I supposed to not like yell at kids anymore? Um, anything I say can be twisted. And now I'm an abuser. Uh, mm. No, I'm not going to do that. And he, he said, like, F that. I'm, I'm going to stand back and, and I'm not going to coach. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to say, get up there and go. And, and that's all I'm going to do. And it just really, to me, showed how tone deaf a lot of people are or selfish. And how, to me, I mean, if you're, if you're that concerned <laughs> that things you say are going to be spun, maybe they're not being spun. Maybe you need to think about the way you conduct yourself mm-hmm. and you need to look in the mirror a little bit. But the, the main thing that I learned from that is you know, and this is the self-reflection I did is I couldn't get through the session. I had too many looks. I had too many conversations. I took it off. I put it on my backpack kind of where I'm not going to, it's not going to be so obvious. Yeah. Uh, and, and I go, man, victims and survivors are being so brave and speaking up about their experience and for better or worse, that's going to define them. You're going to, you're going to put those people that I mentioned, it's going to be gold medalist mm-hmm. at the Olympics and it's going to be sexual abuse survivor. Yep. And, and that's going to carry with them for life. It's going to define Forever. them. And I couldn't get through an hour. And it just kind of shows you a little bit of humbleness of what they're going through and the support that they need. And that it's one thing to be that kind of brave and that kind of strong as, as a survivor. It's another kind of thing to not have experienced firsthand that mm-hmm. and and go man i i need to take a take a beat and, and and think about how courageous i can be just to be supportive and yeah and to me that was a an eye opener for sure yeah and i think so i mean i i, I experienced that because the 12th woman stuff right you google my name and some of my companies come up now and a lot of what i've created since coming forth with my story you know, came from confidence of, I want to write my own story and I don't want to be defined as the survivor. I don't mind having that attached to my name, but I don't want it to be the only thing attached to my name. 
Right. And, you know, that's a struggle with speaking out because the second you speak out and you tell your story is the second that that's going to forever. That scarlet letter that just, bam, that's... It is. I literally relate it as a scarlet letter all the time. All the time. That's such a perfect analogy. So the difference for you that really intrigues me versus you know, a lot of other coaches is that you are male and you're so outspoken about supporting. And to illustrate that, I wanted to tell all of the people listening, y'all, Adam gets his, his whole crew, his whole team together every year. And for the last four years, they raise money as a team for the Safe Alliance. And this is a group really striving to support sexual assault survivors. And it blew blew my mind that this was the total, but in the last four years, they've raised close to $40,000 for this alliance. And Adam leads this for his team as one of his ways to teach them awareness about it, but doing it in such a positive way where it's not a negative conversation, but it's a, let's make this more aware. Let's make this more of a conversation. And then let's also teach the girls how to go out and do good in the world and, you know, think about someone else besides themselves. And so for that, I, I think it's incredible that as a male, that's what you're leading. It's easy, I think, or easier for females to lead a, a movement like that and to lead a project like that. But it's, I can only imagine some of the conversations that have also gone on in the male world and male to male in the coaching world that you've received from probably being so outspoken and so supportive and, you know, navigating that and still not backing down and and you choosing to not be silenced is really incredible from my perspective. So I just wanted to say that and make sure that people, you know, that's what makes, I think you so incredible. Well, well, thanks. Uh, I can't take full credit. I think as far as, as far as, you know, conversations I've had with people, I would say, you know, mostly positive. The, you get people saying like, wow, that's amazing. I would say most of that is female uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that you hear mm-hmm. that from. Uh, and, and don't really have too many conversations, you know, about that with, with kind of male coaches out there, but, um, I don't know if that's for whatever reason. Well, but wait, isn't that a conversation in itself? Because you have figured out how to have the conversation and it not be awkward. But I think there are so many, like I'm a, I'm a girl surrounded by four brothers. They don't like talking about this stuff. It's hard for them. It's not comfortable for them. And I, I kind of live in a male world, so I kind of get it, but like, what have, what have you done if, if for anyone that's listening, if there were to be a male coach that listens to this, that maybe struggles with being outspoken about it or just supporting the conversation, like, what have you found that makes it easier? Is it doing this give back thing or like, what is it? You know, to me, I don't, I don't want to be just a coach kind of like we were talking about before. I yeah. don't think that has to be the only thing that defines me, but I have a, a very strong willed family, uh, mm-hmm. especially my sister who, uh, you know, if I didn't do something like this, she's like 4'11 and like 100 pounds, but she probably could kick my ass. She, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, but we, we grew up, you know, having conversations about politics and social issues. And my mom has always done a lot of work for uh, St. Jude's. And so giving back always kind of felt right or not that out of the norm. Like it's kind of sure. what, we, what we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I've had a lot of experiences. We talked about one a little bit earlier. I, uh, I've had family members that have uh, experienced what, what you've experienced. Uh, there was a time in high school, we were at a party and uh, a friend of mine got a little too, too drunk and I had to give her a ride home. 
and mm-hmm. I had to I had to carry her to the door and explain to her mom what she had gone through, and mm. um, I for one party was sober, <laughs> like, <laughs> and uh, and it was just really hard because it, it, the immediate reaction was like you know a little bit of blame. And I'm like, I had nothing to do with this. I'm just trying to help. And then quickly, we understood what was going on. But it ended up with me going to a police station and, and giving an interview and, and the cop telling me, like, you shouldn't have given her a ride home. What if you had gotten pulled over? What if you had gotten in trouble? And I was like, I still would have done that. Like, it just... Golly. And, and it, it just kind of opened up my eyes a little bit to selfish people. Mm-hmm. And... I guess that's why, you know, four years ago, uh, the owner of our gym, Gil, goes, hey, you know, I think it would be great if we could teach these kids to give back a little bit. And I was like, well, what do you have in mind? And we had a former preschool teacher that kind of segued into working high up at SAFE. And that was the first one he threw out. And I just said, stop, that's, that's me. Uh, because I'd gone through some of those experiences. Right. And, and I'm working with young women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is the climate and the topic of the time right um this is perfect so that's why i don't want to take full credit for it because i didn't know it existed until it was brought to me but i formed a relationship with safe we took off running uh and yeah we're just under 40k we we do all types of stuff for it we do like an online auction is a new feature we've done the last couple years and it's really cool how like miss val will send a book that's signed and a person's letter to me horton sent his book yeah. PK leotards will uh, will send out free leotards. Snowflake leotards let kids design their own leotards. I auction. Oh off my like, gosh! Yeah, auction off different things like uh, you know golf packages, spa mm-hmm. days, different mm-hmm. restaurants. Where it's one of those things where everybody knows somebody. So our parents all come together and they're like, "Oh, I know someone that's the GM of this restaurant." Yeah. I know someone that works at this golf course, and and we all kind of work together. We form that. We do uh, a GoFundMe. Uh, every year uh, starting in, in November and it kind of leads up to our meat season. And then I do different uniform sales or merchandise sales or pass a, pass a bucket around. But the coolest aspect of it is when I have uh, a group of kids that'll go do door to door and be like, Hey, we got 700 bucks today. And that's, that's the most rewarding part of it. I just got chills. That's really cool. And I love that you're just teaching them all those different ways to market and raise money because, you know, I think as adults too, it's just fun to raise money and to be a part of something like that and to do things like that, even as adults and to be able to, you know, use part of your life to just give back to others and positively impact others. And I just love that you're teaching them that at such well, a young it's, age. It's really addicting. You know, it's like, it's like getting, <laughs> it's getting followers on Facebook, but it's different because it's good for you. <laughs> you yeah. know, like like every single good. time I get a, a ding on my phone and someone's put in money, it's, such a high and, yeah. and if I'm going to be selfish or self-centered about something at least it's something that like that <laughs> yeah no I love that hey guys I wanted to take a quick break from the episode to bring you a little bit more information about our sponsor Texas Advocacy Project TAP provides solutions to lead those experiencing domestic violence or sexual assault to safety and free legal services callers to the legal line are offered free legal checkups, and this is often the first time they've ever spoken with an attorney to learn what rights they have. Civil legal remedies like protective orders and termination of an abuser's parental rights often provide the first steps to living in hope and leaving fear behind. Last year alone, TAP served over 10,000 clients and children across the state. 
I personally wish I would have known about TAP and all that they do to help survivors because oftentimes legal resources are what survivors need in order to understand their rights and how to move forward with pressing charges and reporting. I love what they stand for and I can tell you this is a group of amazing people. I recently went to their office for a meeting and I was welcomed with the most amazing energy and enthusiasm. These people are passionate and absolutely love what they do. Together we can and will be better. So if you would like to donate to TAP on behalf of a survivor or for a great cause, please visit texasadvocacyproject.org slash lovingthislife to make a contribution and to learn more about TAP. Now back to the podcast. So let's transition a little bit to like, what are you doing to still coach positive, but also be able to push athletes? Because I think going back to that story where the coach was like, am I just not going to talk anymore or just not coach anymore? And I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer is you can coach in a positive manner, but still push athletes beyond their capacity of what they think they're capable of, right? Because like as an athlete, our mind's telling us no, but as a coach, you know that our bodies are capable of more than what our mind is telling our body, right? So it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a balance of trying to make sure that they know they're loved, that you care for them, that they're safe. But it's also a, hey, can you trust me on this? I'm going to push you a little harder right now because I know that you're capable and I want you to see that you're capable. Yeah, and, and I think it kind of goes back to the mindset of coach the way you wanted to be coach. W- one of my philosophies is, is make your positive as louder, louder than your negative. And okay. when I say that, I mean, you're going to fail and fail and fail in this sport. You fall so many times and, you know, you go and you see these great routines at a meet, but you don't know how to, how you got there. And, and it's, it's from a lot of failing. Yeah. Uh, but to me, when they're failing, you know, that's got to happen before success. Mm-hmm. So they could fall a thousand times or, or they could, they could do something right. They could, they could be amazing the entire practice and they thousand times you just say like oh nice good job but they mess up one time and you and you yell and you scream and you, and you get frustrated they only messed up once they're gonna go home with that mm-hmm. that's what's gonna resonate is and, and and they're gonna take home so anytime that they do something that is that is great i want them to know how excited i was about it so that's the feeling they go home with right um but as far as that middle ground goes because i'm i'm as, i'm competitive as hell I, I want to win. I want right. to, I want I want sure. first place. I want to go to nationals. I want to get kids into college, but not at a cost. And right. I think that, yeah, it's not like I've never pushed kids hard. I, I absolutely do. It's, it's part of my job, but these kids also have an innate desire to win. They wouldn't have made it this far mm-hmm. if they weren't competitive by nature. Right. And they understand that they have to sacrifice and they understand that it's not always going to be fun. So, so to me, it's about finding clever ways to, to make that fun happen, but also just constant communication, constant trust. And, and you're going to, you're going to build that, you know, you gotta, yeah. you're going to build that over time. You're going to already be on third base when it, when it comes to that, because you're going to come in and you're the coach, you're the authority figure They're They're going to trust you. So mm-hmm. it's what you do with that power. And then looking in the mirror and weighing at what cost is winning important and what do you define winning as? Right. The definition of winning is definitely important because it definitely looks different for each individual well, person there, and coach. There's that meme that's going on right now that I've seen a couple times where it's a kid on first place that looks just kind of bored and a kid on third place and the kids, you know, arms up, like, like yeah. smiling. It's the best thing ever. And it's like these little like four-year-olds. It's a really cute meme, but that's the definition of success right there. It's, it's how you view it. 
it's relative it's, to you. And, yeah, it's very, yeah. very different for each person. And I mean, I know I've talked to your team about this, but I'm huge on that, right? Like we have to define what our own goals are that are sustainable and reachable and focus on this, you know, reaching those goals and not the, in gymnastics, especially in the JO level, we're, you know, always comparing ourselves to how close can, to the 10 can we get? And it's not how close to the 10 can we get or how far away we get, but about what are the steps and the goals that we can set in, mm-hmm. in the interim to get us to a better place where we, you know, we are closer to that. It's about those smaller goals and achieving those smaller goals. And that's what success is. And it's individual for each gymnast. It's not a whole, like one formula fits everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that goal setting is one of those uh, life lessons that you learn in this. And, and Helen and Sharon, my, my coaches uh, do a great job helping me. We do a preseason goal sheet, like an off-season goal sheet, like what skills do you want to work on? Where do you want to get? We do an in-season goal sheet. And, you know, and some people might be like, go one for one, go four for four, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, and it's small scale as far as, as what their goals are. You know, you have some that have nothing to do with gymnastics and it's just like, you know, I want to be a supportive teammate. I want to be happy. I want to uh, be proud of myself and, and stuff like that. And then some people are like, I want to go to nationals and kick everyone's ass. And it right. just kind of depends on, on the kid and, and, but we do that often. Uh, but what we do every single week is we line them up and we do short term goals. What's your goal yeah. for the week? What's your goal for the practice? Love that. Uh, and we do it at lineup every Monday and I literally go down the line kid to kid and they have to tell me their goal. Mm. And yeah. there's no like, there's no like, I can't think of one. It's I know you, the expectation goal, and we'll, we'll wait until you have one. And so I think, I think that's huge for the kids because it gives them obtainable purpose. Yeah. And for coaches listening to something that I really want to make sure we talk about that I've witnessed firsthand with Adam that he probably doesn't even, he has no idea I'm about to bring this up, but I have gone into his gym a couple of times and talked to his team. And one of the things that you touched on earlier was communication. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in a gym that communication was very one-sided and I was barked at and I was told what to do. Um, I had a few coaches that I communicated with and had a trusting relationship with, but the negative as naturally we would over supersedes and overpowers the more positive relationships that I've had. And the one, when I look back at those, the biggest thing that I remember is the coaches that I love, I was able to talk to, I felt comfortable with, I could communicate with, I could tell them when I was hurting, I could tell them when I had a fear, we could talk through it. They could ask me what I thought it was that I needed to do to overcome that fear. And it was a joint effort. It wasn't just me being told what I needed to do because they weren't inside my head. And all of our heads are different as kids. And so one thing that I've witnessed that you did is um, there, you know, there's a kid that came in who had, the parents had approached you that they had been injured, but the kid hadn't communicated to you that she was not feeling good. And she was trying to be brave and wanted, you know, to do well in the gym so that she could compete because that was super important to her. And rather than, you know, I think some coaches in that situation would have been frustrated, would have gotten annoyed that the parent came to them because if the child's really hurting, then the child should just say something, you know, I've heard that in my lifetime. And, you know, when my parents, quote, fought my battles for me, which was just my parents being parents. But now, you know, looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, they were told they were fighting their battles, my battles for me at age 10. And they should have been. But it was just so cool. You just sat, I was sitting right there and you just sat and had a conversation with her and you just asked her, hey, next time that you're hurting, can you please just come to me? And she just looked at me and was like, yeah, I promise I'll do that. And she just walked away. And it was such, 
I know it's probably nothing to you and you probably do that all the time. But for me to witness that, I, I haven't witnessed a lot of those conversations in my life in the sport of gymnastics. And it was so important. And I think any coach listening, if there's one thing that I can say is just communicate and teach them how to do effective communicating as an adult and be a model of effective communicating so that they can grow up and be humans that effectively communicate in their work and their family and their life and everything. It just, that was, I feel like that's such an important piece of coaching. Well, I, I think that one of the biggest struggles I have is the kids want to make you proud. Yeah. And they don't want to disappoint you. And mm -hmm. if you're injured and they're not able to compete, they feel that they're going to let you down. Mm -hmm. And that's one of those lessons you have to teach is that you, the communication side of it, don't be scared to come and talk to me. It's almost a, a blessing, you know, like, oh, that's a good problem that they want to make you proud. But I know there's a flip side to it where they don't want to come talk to a coach because they think they're going to get in trouble or they're going to be upset. And if you're a coach out there, and I'm not saying I've never been guilty of it, but a kid comes up and tells you something personal and you make it about you and your success, that's, that's the root of the problem. Mm -hmm. 100%. And if you guys go back and listen to episode 23, I uh, had two therapists on and we kind of talked about that and the implications of your response as an adult towards children and how you are forming their so delicate brain and mindset for the rest of their life. And it is so important to validate those feelings and those concerns when a child does communicate those things to you. Because if you don't, there are so many implications that can negatively affect their life for the rest of their life that they have to work really hard as adults to work through. And so... I think sometimes it's really hard as a coach because you, you see, you know, nationals is in two weeks. We just got to work, work, work. We got to get the numbers in or, you know, whatever, stay healthy. But what you don't see is that in 10 years, that kid that you were once coaching is sitting in a therapy session weekly because they, they can't function as, a, as an active member of society because of the things that they experienced as a kid. And it's like, do you really want to be that person? Like, do you really want to be remembered and know that you're the reason why a kid is, or an adult is having to sit in therapy 10 years later in life. And that to me has been so eye-opening through all the therapy that I've done of just like understanding any kid I interact with, yet alone what I'm coaching, just, a, you know, I am surrounded by kids on my street even. And every time I interact with them, if they come to me with a feeling or emotion, I try so hard to validate it and listen to make them have that place of feeling safe. And, you know, I don't know if they get it at home. You know, I like to think I'm surrounded by really awesome neighbors, but I don't know them like what's behind closed doors and neither do we, we don't know what kids experience at home. And if it's, we're with them 25, 30 hours a week, we have that opportunity to be that safe place. And how cool would it be, you know, like the gymnast of yours that's just invited you to their wedding? Not, uh, maybe two of my coaches in my entire and I've been coached by probably over 20 coaches. Two or three of my coaches were invited to my wedding. Like, very, mm. like that percentage is so small, you know? And I just, it, you have a chance to be that person and that's well, a choice that you have to make. I think it's understanding what effect you have on people and what, what your power means. And when I, when I say that, it, it doesn't really have to mean just coaching or, or teaching or any type of authority type of power but your power in friendships and, and relationships and, and family and what imprint you want to, you want to leave. Cause 
you were going to make an impression, good, bad, or otherwise, big or small. Right. And what do you want that impression to be? What do you want your uh, reputation and your legacy to be? Absolutely. I talk about legacy a lot. That's definitely a good point. So now what, like what's next? If we're trying to change this culture as a whole and we're trying to really change the energy that surrounds gymnastics and the people that are within the sport, like what do you think that it's going to take to make this culture change and where does it start? I mean, a lot of people I think are dogging on USA gymnastics and they're trying, but I, I think you and I also both agree that it's a lot bigger than that. Right. It's a little myopic to just kind of go, this is a gymnastics problem because it's a societal problem. It's uh, you find these problems in youth sports for a reason. And it's because you are in a position to groom and manipulate and you've seen it, you know, it's, it's, for anyone that's in my small little bubble in that small gymnastics community, it seems like that's it. But I mean, this is youth sports in general. It's, it's hockey, youth hockey in Canada. There's a big scandal. It's baseball, softball, basketball, footballs. There's a huge one in swimming and diving. Yeah. And, and I think that we're, it's interesting because I don't think that, you know, me saying that this is broader than just us is going to, is going to help because you really have to kind of start with what you can control. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, it's all about transparency, right? And it's that communication and, and being as transparent as possible, which has been the biggest issue that people have with USAG is it's kind of a lot of empty words and empty promises and kind of a little too little too late mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of situation. But we can sit behind a computer and, and have Twitter fingers and, and complain about mm-hmm. USAG and that's fine. I think that might push them a little bit. But what really needs to happen is it needs to be a little more grassroots than that. And it's about looking yourself in the mirror. And then, like I was saying before, weighing, weighing yourself. But I don't think it's, it's just youth sports either. I mean, it's, you've seen all these scandals in college gymnastics and college sports in general. It's, it's just not treating these people like little machines for your benefit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's understanding that they have problems just like you. Right. I have kids that have problems at home and this isn't their safe place. Like, Hey, you get to come to gymnastics and, and work that out. Mm-hmm. Get some endorphins going or, or whatever. Right. But that when you're just pushing buttons, like it's a video game, you're ignoring maybe a, a, a underlying issue that you'd want people to understand about yourself. Right. You know, and, and I've had years of depression and anxiety issues uh, dating back to when I was in high school and it, you know, it has its ebbs and flows, but I can relate to people's anxiety or stress or fear because I don't want people to sweep mine under the rug. I'm, it helps me to talk about it. Right. And I think that if we can start looking at kids, not as tickets to our career, but as instruments to help everybody, you know, like they're the next generation. Mm-hmm. How and, can we empower them? And, and listen to their voice because I would, I would say, you know, we, we still deal with sexism, racism and all that. But I think that there's a huge aspect of it, of, of children's rights that, you know, they don't have a voice because 
their followers, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're, they got to do what a teacher says. They got to do what mom and dad say. They got to do what their coach says. Right. And, and that they do have rights. And, and I think that people neglect to understand or aren't willing to understand that, you know, it's so easy to look at a kid and go, you're going to be gone in a few years and I'm going to be here for the next 20. <laughs> Seriously. Like who cares about yeah. one kid? Who cares if that one kid switched gyms? I'll just build another. And, you know, in 10 years, I've had like three, four kids leave. And and some have wanted to come back, you know, and it's, I think the biggest thing is because I think there are most gyms can't say that. It's a very, very political sport that we're in and, and a lot of going over to the greener grass and, I, I guess what I always tell the kids is, you know, we're too busy working on our, on our lawn to worry about how green your grass is. Yep. And, and I think that when kids quit or retire or they finish their career with us, I think there's a reason for that. And, and it's not to toot my own horn, but I think it's because of respect. Yeah. And we, if I, if I respect the kids and treat them like their age and, and treat them like people, Mm-hmm instead of, you know, kind of talking down. And, and I think that the respect is, comes back my way or, or to Helen or Sharon or to our business in general, to Crenshaw's, that is the reason why so many people don't, don't leave is because, you know, I can sit here right now and say that there are many coaches in the Austin area that are better at X's and O's than me. I have no problem saying that that wouldn't be my strength, I would say. I think I'm I'm a strong spotter and I think I'm a strong motivator. But there are people that that are technicians out there and they can just really build this pretty pretty product. But I don't really want to build products. I want to help people. Ugh. Yes. Preach. Preach so much. And preach. you know, for for me too, right? Like you you're talking about just treating the kids, you know, as humans and the way that they should be treated. And that's a huge and self-reflecting and looking in the mirror. And I think another aspect from it that I'm super passionate about to combine with that is allowing the conversation, right? Like the more times that we mute the verbal abuse, sexual abuse, sexual assault conversation with kids and with just in ourselves as adults, the more, the, the harder it is going to be for there to be change. Mm-hmm. And the more we talk about it and the more we educate to keep an eye out for grooming and to keep an eye out for inappropriateness um, and to, to create an environment where you're not going to be frowned upon by calling someone out or reporting them out of fear that it's going to jeopardize your career. I can't tell you how many gymnasts I know and I was a gymnast with that didn't report things out of sheer fear that it would jeopardize their ability to go to college and to get a college scholarship. And they stayed quiet because there just wasn't an, a room for the conversation. And I know that that's what's changing in the sport and in society in general. And I think a lot of that, you know, comes with the Me Too movement and more women speaking out and it's making there to be room for much more conversation about all of this. But I think it's, it's a combination of being the change you what you want to see and leading by example, but then also being willing to have a conversation. And I think that's also why I, I'm so grateful for you is because I don't get to have these conversations with a lot of males. 
my family doesn't like to have these conversations. So it's really cool to, for, to be in the sport and you to be someone in the sport and to be, you know, fairly well known in the sport and to still be so willing to speak out about it. And I think there, you alone being outspoken has created change and will continue. And I think if more people could get on board with that, it could be a really big movement. Well, I would, I would hope so. I think, uh, we've talked a lot about defining today. And, uh, I think that if you are going to put yourself or other people in little boxes and categorize, like, this is a gymnast, this is a coach, you're so much more than that. And, mm-hmm. um, I agree. You know, it's, it's kind of weird as a gymnastics coach at, a, at the JO level to, to say I have a microphone, but, you know, they're doing some really cool shit. They're flying around doing, doing Jaegers and, and double layouts and, and stuff like that. So people will go and, and look at, some of the videos are, uh, you know, it's just awesome to look at. And if you have an audience, you have an opportunity. Yeah. And so to use that towards, you know, say for speaking up, I think is a, uh, it's a privilege and, but you got to take it, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you certainly don't have to, I guess, you know, most, most people don't, and I'm not trying to compare myself to anyone else. I just know what's important to me would be obviously these kids, and then this issue that has kind of formed a lot of my views because of experiences that I've, I've gone through. Uh, but also, you know, there's a societal change, like you said, with Me Too and, uh, and some of the gymnastics history that's mm-hmm. coming out. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if there's this, this train leaving the station, I want to be on it. Yeah, Me Too, Me Too. All right. So hashtag me too. Hashtag me too. So question I ask everyone, and even though this is like a four part series, I still want to bring in the aspect of loving this life because I think the work that you're doing and just who you are as a person, you, you choose to fight depression and anxiety and all of those things, but also choose to impact children in a positive way. So I have to ask, what is, what is it that you do each day that allows you to love this life and you feel like you're stepping into each day thriving instead of just trying to get by by surviving? I think it would be being very true and trusting your feelings or that person you look to in the mirror. Because as we said at the beginning, nobody's perfect. Right. And I would say not this last season, but the one before was the worst of, of my career and, and my life. Like I, I was super low, super depressed. You know, I was coming off of the season where I had three level tens make it to JO nationals wow. and, do, and do pretty well. And, um, yeah. and, you know, I got a lot of pats on the back for that. And, and, you know, two of them are in college right now. One of them has a scholarship. Awesome. Uh, and, and, and so they're really great. Right. And then we go into the next season we're doing our mock meet. One of them tears their Achilles. The other can't mm. make it uh, through the season. She wants to be good for her uh, university. So she goes, goes ahead and gets healthy and, instead of finishing the season. The other one had some, uh, some mental blocks that, that creeped up. And it was a very frustrating year. And I, got, I was very, very down, very frustrated taking it home. Uh, I was unhealthy. Um, couldn't yeah. sleep. I was having chest pains. It was just stress. You know, mm. just stress, stress, stress. Yeah. And luckily I have a lot of people around me that know me well enough uh, that could kind of see some of the signs and said, Hey man, you need, maybe you need to go get some help. 
and I did. And I went and got on some, some medication and, and really just went, golly. Yeah, I, I, I lost those two to college. The other went to another gym. And I have one level 10 with any experience and then like eight that were level nines the year before and they're coming up and they're trying to make the hardest jump. And there's so much struggle in that first year of level 10, right? Yeah. For the yeah. most part, you're, you're going to get your butt whooped by people that have been there for a few years. And I knew that going in. And for some reason, you know, and, and not for some reason, it was because I had people like Sharon and Helen and, and friends around the coaching community and my family that supported me and, and listened to me when I was going through some of that. And I had more fun this last season getting my butt kicked. <laughs> I had more fun this season than any other season I had coaching. And I think I'm closer to those level 10s than I have been with just about any kid because we all kind of were in it together. And, and it wasn't about success. It was about the, the track to get there. So I think as far as your, your question, you know, like why choose to thrive? is because I've been through the ebbs and flows and I've been through the, the bad times enough to reflect on it and learn from it and not just, you know, feel bad for myself. Yeah. Um, you know, one of, one of my biggest things is, is when you're looking, you, you can complain about problems or you can be someone that tries to find solutions. And it's something that I really believe in. And so you know, sometimes I have to check myself and say, hey, that doesn't mean there's not a problem, but I want to work towards making myself a better person. And I think if, if I can work towards that, it's going to reflect on making other people grow. Preach. Preach. <laughs> self-reflection is so important. Golly, if there's one thing I've learned, I feel like in the last couple of years, it's how much self, how important self-reflection is. It's, well, I had no idea how much power that had. Choosing the word. You know, yeah. not just not just being like satisfied with where you're at is complacent. Is you know, I've got to work on me, and admit that I'm not perfect. It's not always against me. There's you choose happiness, and you know, I, that's that's really cliche, but there's a choice that you can go in with. I'm going to do this with a positive mindset, or I'm going to go in there and be super cynical. Yep, yep, and it's a choice every single day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and and wrap this up, but I think if there's one thing that Adam and I could wish that would come out of this is that, you know, there'd be some, some change in the gymnastics world and just in the world in general and leading through self-reflection, but also leading through communication. And so I think both of us hope and have agreed to do this episode with that being the hope and if you guys want to follow along with Adam's journey and his team's journey, you guys can find him on Instagram. It's their handle is Crenshaw, which is C R E N S H A W optionals. And he does a great job of kind of just sharing the girls journeys and what they're working on. And I just, I commend you. And I thank you so much for coming on here and doing this because um, I know when we started having the conversation, there was fear and, you know, what are we going to say? And are we, are we, you know, talking about things that's going to create backlash for either one of us? And, you know, what does that look like? And I think 
we both did a great job of talking about what needs to happen and you know what we've seen as a problem and where we need to go. And I think at the end of the day, that's our goal. And I hope that other people heard that from us as well, is that we just really want to bring more positivity and more great change into this world and especially into the sport of gymnastics. So I want to I want to ask you one last thing. What do you okay. want to be remembered for? Like, what is it that, you know, when you're at the end of the day and you're laying down and you're 90 years old and you can think back on it, what is, what is it that you want to be remembered like, for? Bes- besides my hot takes on Mighty Ducks and Gordon Bombay. <laughs> Y'all, he wanted to come on and just quote didn't think, awesome Disney movies. And I, was like, I, I just want to talk about 90s family Disney sport movies, but <laughs> you're trying to make this all about like serious stuff. <laughs> But we'll come on another time when, when, you know, when we're done with all this and we've solved all the world's problems, I'll just come on and we can talk about three ninjas and and stuff like that. Um, But to answer your question, (laughs) to answer your question, instead of hijacking it, I think just being remembered in general, I think would be huge. You know, Mm -hmm. like you you can go back or I can go back. Maybe it's just because I have a really crappy memory, but I can remember certain teachers' names and I, don't remember some names and that's because they probably didn't leave as much of an imprint. But mm-hmm. uh, if, if people, when they're 20 years removed from being at Crenshaw's still can reflect on their time there or on me or any of the coaches, uh, I think that would be huge just to have any kind of imprint, uh, big or small. Love that. I love that. I have the same, I have a very similar legacy goal that, Mm-hmm. Um, I want to leave in my life for sure. So thank you again. You're doing awesome things for all of the the backlash that you, you've gotten in the past for speaking up. I hope you know that there are people that appreciate it more than you probably ever know. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on and sharing your story and just re- being willing to speak up. I think it's awesome. And I hope that this can just motivate others to do the same. Um, hopefully this is the beginning of a few other episodes for us as well to bring you back on and have a repeat, a repeat guest on here. But yeah, I think that's all. So thanks again. Hey, I appreciate you, uh, having me on and, um, I hope that maybe me coming on and bringing some of the gymnastics community into it can have, uh, a positive effect on, on those people. Cause if they go and look at some of your other podcasts, it's, it's about, positivity and it's about you know it doesn't really matter about that hole that you're stuck in or the one that you you got out of a while back it's about what you do next and choosing that positive mindset as opposed to being stuck that's exactly you're a role model to all of our kids so that's that's why i wanted to come on and do this is because i know our kids love it when you come in and talk Thanks. And I mean, that's the goal, right? It's, that's why I created this podcast is it came out of the 12th woman and feeling very negative. And I, I had a choice of how I wanted to write my change in my story. And it was going to be in a positive way and not in a negative way. So thank yeah, you for supporting the story that. Is still, yeah, the story is still going. That was a chapter. That and was a chapter. That's yet. right. Yes, it's the not book's done. not done yet. So keep doing what you're doing. Appreciate you. All right, you guys, stay tuned for uh, episode three of this series coming up next, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Loving This Life podcast special series called Advocating for Athletes. It is because of people like you tuning in each episode that Loving This Life has a purpose. If you like what you hear, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. This is how we spread the love and reach more amazing people like yourself. 
I want to give a special thank you to Ella Reed. What most people don't know is that the song that plays at the beginning and the end of the podcast was written by Ella for sexual assault survivors. She so graciously shared her empowering and uplifting song, Walk On, for us to use on the podcast, and I am forever thankful our paths crossed. This series includes tough conversations, but my hope is that by having these tough conversations, society continues to change for the better. So remember, you are not defined by what happens to you, but you are defined by how you respond. You are worthy, you are enough, and you have the ability to change the world. Thanks again for listening. Peace, y'all.